Be in Matthew chapter 10, we're going to be in verses 34 through 39. It says, Do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I've come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's enemies will be those of his own household. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who finds his life will lose it. And he who loses his life for my sake will find it. Well, welcome back. Um, <laughs> It's a good portion of scripture and, 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 and at the surface, it's somewhat of a difficult portion of scripture to manage. And, and part of what I'm constantly trying to do here as your pastor is that I'm always trying to introduce you and keep you acquainted with the Jesus of the scriptures. Uh, as a as a church that's in a, a metropolitan area, we're constantly gathering new people and new people are coming for the first time. And some people have been taught the wrong Jesus. They've been taught a Jesus that isn't in the Bible. And so sometimes I might sound like a broken record. And, and one is because new people will come in that have never heard the Jesus of the Bible. And secondly, if we don't stay focused on the Jesus of the Bible, you will so quickly be pulled in another direction. Um, this is the Jesus of the scriptures, not the Jesus of social media. And it's very difficult in this day and age to stay on the Jesus of the Bible because some of the most ignorant people alive has have just as much opportunity to share horrible theology as everybody else. And so with social media and all these other means, you can see somebody that's got millions of followers and think just because a million people follow them on social media that they're in the truth. And, and sometimes likes and shares and exposures will lead people to believe things that aren't true. And they say, well, it's got a thousand shares. It must be true. But it's not true if it's not in the Bible. You'll hear people say things like, Jesus would never do that because he's loving. And and that's just probably one of the most ignorant statements that you could ever make about Jesus. Again, because you're creating a Jesus that is a, a social media Jesus, not a biblical Jesus. Understanding what a loving biblical God looks like is more important than having good social media cred. And, and so you should spend more time reading your Bible than you do reading your news feed. Uh, because if, if not, what happens is, is that you hear a scripture like this. And some of you that uh, haven't heard a, a, a teaching on this before might think that I'm being caustic or divisive. And it is because I am being caustic and divisive because that's what this scripture is about. And for some people, it might look like Jesus is being contradictory or he's being hypocritical because your idea of who Jesus is doesn't match up with who Jesus says that he is. Because these statements that he's making in these scriptures might look like they're opposed to what a a loving God would do. Because people say, well, he's a loving God. How can he bring a sword and how can he be divisive? And, and, And these are... Not hypocritical from a God who said that Jesus would come as the Prince of Peace. Just because Jesus says, I came to bring this sword, does not negate the fact that he also said that he, he's going to come as the Prince of Peace. Uh, th- this does not negate, nor is it hypocritical, when the Bible says that we should honor our father and our mother. The two of these match together just perfectly. Uh, this doesn't come against the fact that Jesus also said that we're supposed to love people and that we're supposed to love one another. And so we know these things to be true that Jesus is supposed to be peace and we're supposed to honor our father and mother and that we're supposed to love people. And so we have to come to this scripture under the umbrella and cloud of those and look at them and say, okay, well, what is Jesus actually saying to us about what these scriptures say? That he wants to bring war and not peace? 
that he wants to bring division between a man and his family so much. He says in the scripture, he wants to bring so much uh, uh, division between an individual and their family that the family member will actually become their enemy. Those are some pretty big bombs. They really are, especially for a bunch of American Christians that worship their families more than they worship God, uh, that, that bow down to the idol of their children. Uh, you would find this scripture very, very uh, uh, challenging if you've been worshiping at the altar of your family. So God goes straight to the heart and says, after I've set you as enemies with your family, I'm going to actually be checking your heart to make sure that you love me more than you love them. This is a challenging scripture. I'm going to make you enemies with your family. And then I'm going to be checking your heart to make sure that you still love me more than you love them. And then he even takes it even farther and says, oh yeah. And if you're not willing to be crucified and die on a cross, uh, you're not worthy of me either. I'm going to make you an enemy with your family. I'm going to make sure you love me more than you love them. And you've got to be willing to die on a cross. If you're not willing to do those three things, do not call yourself my disciple. If you're not willing to follow me in this way, you are not a Christian. You are not a follower of Jesus. This is is not a sermon about the hippie, lovey, doing everything, uh, marching on Saturday morning Jesus. It's not. This is a check your heart, check your motives. What What are you willing to do? How much is it willing to cost you to follow Jesus type of scripture? He finishes with lose your life, lose it for me and you're going to find it. So what can we get out of this text? The first thing we can get out of this text is this, is that Jesus came to divide. Jesus came to divide in verse 34 and 35. He says, do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword for I've come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. Some of y'all find that one really easy to understand. And a man's enemies will be those of his own household. Now, I I, I I know that we're a little bit into this service this morning, and we're going to be here a bit longer. Why? Because I got a lot to say, and you ain't got nowhere to be. Um, if you had somewhere to be, you'd be there. But I, I really don't want you to miss the truths of these scriptures, because there's some truths here that if you would really internalize them, they would change the way in which you're living for Christ right now in 2021 in the Pacific Northwest, okay? This idea that Christ came to divide is a central truth that you must internalize. You, you must have this idea in your head. Christ came to divide. He did not come to bring unity. He came to bring unity within the church, but he did not come to bring unity within the world. Uh, Genesis chapter 4 sets the stage of the beginning of familial strife that has gone throughout the ages, all throughout eternity. Cain and Abel, right? There was a division in the family. And that division will continue to go on until Jesus returns. We are never going to have complete unity on this earth until Jesus returns. It's just not going to happen. And so when you have this idea of like, oh man, if we could just bring Jesus in, then we'd have unity. No, when you bring Jesus in, you're actually going to have disunity because when Jesus comes in, he's a divider. This, this is a fulfillment of the prophecy of Micah 7, 5, and 6. It says, do not trust in a friend. Do not put your confidence in a companion. Guard the doors of your mouth from her who lies in your bosom. Interesting. Guard the doors of your mouth. I almost heard that this morning from my wife. For son dishonors father, daughter rises against her mother, daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies are the men of his own household. That prophecy was true a few thousand years ago, and it's also true today. Now, 
Put yourself in the sandals of the early Jews who saw Christ as Messiah and decided to follow him and become his disciple. You're standing there and you're looking at Jesus and Jesus says to you and speaks this prophecy and says, listen, if you're going to follow me, this is going to create problems in your family. It just is. And you've got to be prepared to understand that when you become my follower, those people, the ones closest to you in your family are not going to agree with you because you're choosing to be my disciples. We find it very easy today. It's, it's funny. People say, oh man, it's hard to become a Christian. And it's never been easier to be a Christian than it is today. Uh, and now people say, well, what about all this stuff that's going on around? Yeah, dude, there's stuff that's going on around. But there's also a billion people on this planet that are Christians as well. You weren't part of the first 12 that stepped away from Ju- Judaism and went like, uh, this guy's Messiah. You're not in that group. I mean, y'all got Chick-fil-A and Hobby Lobby and you're talking about like, <laughs> no, I don't know what we're going to do. You literally, you can go into Chick-fil-A and do your business and listen to worship music and then get a chicken sandwich afterwards. I mean, there's still difficulties in being a Christian, but it's not like you're the first Christians. But it still takes a bit of gumption to choose to follow Jesus demonstrably in this day and age. So I don't want to minimize that. Here's, But if you understand this, and, and apply this to your beliefs and practices, this idea that Christ is a divider, it will help you as you uh, navigate through the confines of the earth, as you attempt to honor God with your life. Because what, what, what happens is, is that if, if you are, and now listen very closely, I always have to listen, because you guys real quickly, you can go off your phone and all that is here, right here, okay? It's mostly for me. Um, you will have decisions that come into your life. And, and you'll think to yourself, this is going to create a division within my family. This is going to create a division within this coworker. This is going to separate me from my friend. And you, you have to make a decision and say, am I going to honor God in the scriptures? Or am I going to have the, the praise and adoration of men? But if you can't navigate this well, you're going to find yourself on the outside because you've got to have a mindset that says, you know what? If this person is not with Jesus, I can't be with this person. If this person is going against the scriptures, I I, I just can't agree with them. Christ came to be a divider. And so if he came to be a divider, then I don't want to be on the wrong side of the division. I want to be on the right side of the division. See, here's what's hard is that people naturally want to conform to the groups around them. This is social psychology. People naturally want to uh, conform to the groups around them because, uh, now this is deep stuff. People conform to group pressure because they are dependent on the group for satisfying two important desires. Now, some of you might have to go back and listen to this again, okay? But, but listen very closely. Why, why do people conform to a group? Now, when you talk about a group, it's, it's within the church, it's at a checkout line, it's society at large, all of these things. Is that number one, they, they desire to have an accurate perception of their reality. That's why people conform to a group. They, they want to, uh, they want to have a, a, an accurate perception of what the world is supposed to look like. So if the whole group thinks the world looks a certain way, they'll acquiesce to the group because if the whole group sees it this way, I must be crazy if I don't see it this way. So I'm going to acquiesce to the group. Yeah. Right? Yeah. No. Secondly, is this deep innate need that all of us have, myself included, to be accepted by the group. 
We all want to be part of the group, man. And you'll, you'll be surprised what people, the end that people will go to be accepted by a group knows no ends. They'll join a gang. They'll join a biker club. They'll, they'll cut their hair a certain way. They'll go and do something. People actually attend a church and, and say amen, listen to sermons, tithe, give, and serve with no belief in Jesus whatsoever just to be part of a group. I've seen it many times. Unconverted, unchristian people that will parrot Christianity just because they want to be part of a group. These scientists uh, did studies where they had people judge distances of light. And it was really easy, right? Light here, light here. And then they would bring people in a room and they'd have uh, uh, confederates that were there that that were in on it. And so then they would say, oh, this one is closer than this one. And and the the new guy would walk in like, no, I think this one's closer. But everybody else in the room would be like, no, 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 these two are closer. And it didn't take much. And the people that were added to the group just started to be like, yeah, I guess they are closer together. They, they, they did other studies with the same thing with distances of a line where they would show me this line is shorter than this line. And you could blatantly see that the lines were different in length. But everybody else in the room who was a confederate said, no, they're of different lengths. Eventually, most people acquiesced to the people in the group that said they were of differing lengths, even though it was very clear that they were not. This is social psychology. It's very clear that people will do this. So if you get 10 people in a room that say these things are, are different, the one person will find it so difficult, they'll think to themselves because they want to have an accurate perception of their own reality and they want to be accepted by the group. Eventually they start to look at it and think, well, there must be something wrong with me because everybody else in the room says they're of differing lengths. The problem must be with me. I'm not going to stick to the truth of what I can see with my own eyes because I so desperately want to be accepted by the group that I'm willing to accept the lies of my own eyes even though I know it not to be true. Can you make the connection how, how difficult this would be to navigate in a world that all around you, everything around you, the news and social media companies and all these other people, they, they are so contrary to basic Christian doctrine and orthodoxy that you're the one standing in the room looking at the lines on the wall going, man, those just don't sit. Like everybody says it's a girl, but it looks like a guy. <laughs> That's a guy. That ain't, that ain't a girl. Everybody else is like, no, they say that's a girl. Am I wrong? Is there something wrong with me? I mean, because I, I just I just thought that was a guy. And it was just a girl. It's group thing. Then you want to be part. You want to be accepted by the group. You want to be the one in the whole group that says, no, that's not true. Kill him, ostracize him, take down his business. I want what's right, not the group, man. So you take that on Christianity and you see how it's hard to to, to take a, 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 a mental exercise and go against the grain. It's just easier to acquiesce to the group. It's easier to just take what all the commercials say and what all the people say and what all the books say and everybody's like, it's this way. And you're like, yeah, man, it's this way. It just is. I'm tired of fighting. I, if everybody else says it's that way, then it must be that way. And I'm the idiot in the room that doesn't know any better. 
Instead of standing up and saying, I'm not going to be manipulated to get me to believe something contrary to what my eyes see and my ears hear. I'm not going to do it. I'm going to know what the Bible says. I'm going to know what Jesus says. I'm going to know what it's about. And, and if the rest of the group is going in another direction, it's against the scriptures. I'm not going with them. Christ came to divide. Psalm 41, 9, even my own familiar friend in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, he has lifted up his heel against me. And it would be easy if we would just believe in a Jesus that wasn't against the things of this world. Wouldn't that just be so much easier if we could just fashion a Jesus uh, into some political figure that we could use to coerce people to get us votes? Because that, that's that's what people want, man. They 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 people say things like Jesus was a refugee, so we should take we should care about refugees. I'm not saying we shouldn't t- care about refugees. I'm saying like, you know what, man, you're twisting Jesus into be something that he didn't come as a descriptor uh, to use it for your own political means. It's frustrating. Yes, Jesus was technically a refugee, but he didn't come in and say, I'm a refugee. Teach, teach me, treat me as such. Say, well, Jesus gave out free health care. Really? <laughs> You're putting two things together that can't go together. We have a multi-trillion dollar behemoth that is really, I mean, I don't think universal health care is the answer. I don't think what we have currently is the answer either. But Jesus was not uh, insurance commissioner for Washington State. <laughs> Jesus came to divide. He came to separate his disciples from the world in the same way that God wanted to separate Israel from the pagan nations around them. That's what he came to do. From the beginning, God separated. And he said, you know what? You're not going to be like those other nations. He said, you're not going to be like those other people. I want you to dress differently. I want you to act differently. I want you to speak differently. I want you to eat differently. I want it to be abundantly clear that you are not with the group. I want you to be separate from them. Sheep and goats, wheat and tares, heaven and hell. There has been and will continue to be separation from the world. Therefore, come out of them and be separate. And, and, and if you've listened to me preach over the last couple of years, you would probably think like, man, this guy's a broken record. He only has one message. And I mostly do. But what I'm trying to get you to understand is to have a deep demonstrative conviction in your brain of whose you are and who you are. So then the world comes against you, you can have the ability to be like, no, that's not me. You know, we've got, hey, young people, look at me. Get off your phones. See your guys' heads down. You looking at your pastor? Did you miss me? No. Okay. Only Liberty nodded. Thank you, Liberty. You got good kids over at the Bergen's house. It's parenting right there. You guys have to internalize this in your own brains of whether or not you are going to be a Christian or not. Because the world around you is going to try to convince you otherwise. And all the things that you've been taught in Sunday school and all the things you get taught from me and your parents and everything else, the world is going to come at you and say, are you going to agree with us or not? And you have to make that decision of, am I going to agree with them or not? I encourage you to not agree with them, to agree with what the scriptures say. Secondly, Jesus wants the best of your heart, not leftovers. See, Jesus gives a great prescription of what it takes to live this type of life. 
<laughs> this is so, it's so countercultural. Because in this, in this time in which we live, we, we are in this love gospel, send out the love, be about the love, kind of like we're going to be the most loving people in the world type of message. But what Jesus says in this portion of scripture is not the way that, that I want you to live is loving everybody else. Uh, the, the way that Jesus says in this scripture is I want you to love me more than everybody else. Because what's hard is in the American definition of love, the American definition of love says, oh, you don't offend and you don't hurt and you don't say anything that's going to offend anybody's sensibilities. And Jesus says, you know what? At the heart condition, I'm going to make sure that you love me more than you love anybody else, including your own natural born family. I want you to love more than me. Now, this is the heart of the entire Bible. The entire Bible is wrapped up into this truth is that you should love the Lord, your God with all of your heart, mind, and soul. This is such a difficult task for many people to come to terms with. And, and we're constantly as Christians trying to realign our minds and our hearts into this idea of, am I loving God more than I'm loving anybody else or anything else? Because what happens is people with this love gospel is they say, well, we need to go out and love people, but they end up loving people at the expense of truth. They they end up loving people into hell because they refuse to tell them the truth. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. We say it, but do we live it? Now, this is a, this scripture, listen to it. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. He who loves his son or his daughter more than me is not worthy of me. You're not worthy of Jesus if you love your kids more than you love Jesus. It's what the scripture says. Now, um, today is my son's birthday. He's uh, 21 years old. And and, And I would honestly say that there's probably not there is not another man on this planet that I love more than that, that man. (laughs) Familiar relationships are some of the strongest bonds that you can have. Like blood is thicker than water. They say, right. And they always said that. And, and even back then, Jesus is saying to these people, think, think of the deepest love that you have for someone else on this earth. He says, I want that place. Think think of the person that you love more than anything else on this planet. I mean, he's my firstborn son. I'd let all y'all burn before I let him. I mean it. I don't, I mean, I've never loved a a man like I love Gabe. My firstborn, man, let's go. And Jesus says, you know what? I want you to love me even more than that. I want you to be willing to divide yourself from that relationship for me. People say, well, okay, so how does this apply? Man, we're just going to cut to the chase. I'll give you an exact example that I learned over the last month, okay? So I met a a, a family, and they talked about this extended family that they knew that used to attend their church. Um, Who doesn't love their kids? Everybody loves their kids, right? I love my daughter. I love you guys. love your kids. I love my wife. We all love them. So then they have these kids, two boys, that... um, are repeatedly uh, abused by the neighbor uh, for an extended amount of years, unbeknownst to the parents. So it all comes out. Years later, these two young men decide that they're both homosexuals based on, uh, you know, what had happened to them in their childhood. And, and so prior to this, the parents were 
biblical Christians, homosexuality is wrong. Now, people say, man, you talk about homosexuality, uh, homosexuality a lot. I'm like, yeah, man, I do. Do you know why? Because it's in every commercial and every television program now. It's everywhere. It's everywhere. Like, there's no like, oh, you seem like you're picking on it. I'm not picking on it, man. It is the most overrepresented, aberrant sin that is being pushed in America right now. So I'm going to speak against it. Okay. So these parents, they're two young men decided that they're going to live their lives as homosexuals. The two parents had been living as Christian people, biblical Christian people believe that homosexuality is wrong. But then the two, two boys decide we're homosexuals. So what do they do? They change churches. They change their belief. Now, all of a sudden they say, well, homosexuality, you don't understand homosexuality. You, you don't understand what God feels about it and what you think about it and everything else. And they become an advocate for Christian homosexuality, which just does not exist. It doesn't exist. Those two things cannot go together. And, and people say, man, you're being really hateful. Yeah, well, I'm not being hateful. I'm being biblical. The Bible's, Bible's very clear about, about what is clear in God's eyes. You say, well, Jesus never spoke about homosexuality. No, he did. He talked about marriage. He made it very clear. Marriage between a man and a woman. And have to go through every last, you know, outside thing that he made it clear that marriage is between a man and a woman. He made it clear. And, and, and so I use that example to say to you is that it goes back to the first point of the sermon Am I going to look at what I know to be true? And even though I've got familiar relationships in this and a love relationship within these children, am I going to say to them and be a divider and say, do you know what, kid, whether you are a a, a fornicator or you're a thief or you're any other sort of person, I am not going to sign off on what you are doing, even though I love you. I don't care. I'm, I'm not going to look at you and be like, you know what? I raised you and I loved you, but now you're choosing this lifestyle that is, that, that is not biblical. And I'm just going to change my theology because I'm afraid that the people around me are going to think I'm a bad person because now I'm distancing myself from my family that chooses to live not according to the scriptures. It's, this is literally what Jesus is talking about. He says, you know what? I want you to love me more than you love those kids. And if your kids are in sin, you're not going to continue to sign off on that and bring them to your Thanksgiving dinner and sit down at the table like, you know, man, well, we know we're Christians and stuff, but we're just going to pretend that you're not doing what you're doing. We're just going to pretend that, you know, you're not a thief. We're just going to pretend that you're not an adulterer. We know that you're married and you brought somebody else to Thanksgiving dinner who's not your spouse, but we're just going to sit here and pretend like it's okay. No, Christ came to divide, man. Christ came to bring a sword. Jesus says, I want, I want your heart more than anything else. I want your heart to be towards me. Even if that means it's going to cost you your family relationships, I want your heart to be towards me. That's why Luke 14, 26, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciples. This means if those around me or my blood relatives do not agree with me or my beliefs, I learn to care what they learn to not care what they think. I'm, I'm going to, and, and it's funny because people always think about this in a way of like, oh, that means that you, you know, don't like gay people and you know, all these other, it's, it's so much deeper than that, man. Can we not minimize it to that? Do you know what that means too? That also means that I'm going to love the pedophile that's been redeemed. Yeah. 
That means I'm going to put my armor on them and say, you know what, this is my brother in Christ and I love him and Christ forgives him and I'm willing to stand with a guy who's a convicted pedophile and say, you know what, he's been redeemed by Christ and I love him in Jesus' name. Because all their, you know, happy, loving everybody sort of thing, they sure don't extend it to that guy. They sure think that that guy's, uh, you know, not worthy of love. Someone that's a murderer, oh man, tie him up. Recently, I talked to a man who had cheated on his wife with a man, and she forgave him. And they're staying married. Many people would have grabbed for pitchforks. But me, I want to minister grace. That's who I want to be. I want to be, I want to be the most loving guy in the room. And, and the love is truth. And the truth is that anybody can be forgiven. The truth is anybody can be redeemed. Sometimes loving Jesus more than family is not separating from sinners. It's embracing those that many don't want to associate with based on their past sin. Go ahead. Be friend of pedophile. See what people say about you, man. Go do it. See what people say. Say Muslims aren't going to heaven. Say, say Trump or Biden aren't Christians. Say, oh, you're so judgmental. No, I'm not. I'm truthful, man. Truthful. <laughs> you got, you got President Trump. You're asking, man, what's your favorite book of the Bible? Well, you know, they're all good. You know, it's like, it's like the quintessential, like third grade. Like, what was your favorite chapter of the book? I loved them all. You didn't read the book. <laughs> Tell me that. Come on, man. I'm not going there. I'm not doing that. I'm not believing that. I'm not changing my plans. I'm not going to say I'm okay with it. I'm not going to go with it. I love Jesus far too much for that. Philippians 3, 7 and 9. But what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. Yet indeed I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Jesus Christ, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. I count them as rubbish. This is... Are you guys still with me? All right. I know I'm not telling a lot of funny stories this morning. There's... I don't know. There's a story in here about how we almost died in the cave. I don't know. I don't know if I added that. We literally almost did. We'll tell you that story one day. But I want want to give you guys some real world application of what this looks like. So Jesus says, I want you to love, uh, I want you to love me more than anything else. And I remember when my kids were young and in junior high, I remember them asking, dad, how come we don't go to spring break in Hawaii? Like all of my friends do. And I said, it's very easy. I said, because we tithe. That's why. How come we don't have newer cars? Because we tithe. How come we don't have a house with an in-ground pool? Because we tithe. And I sat him down. I said, this is the amount of money that we give every single month. And if you add up all that money throughout a year, it's a trip to Hawaii. It's a newer car. It's an upgrade to the house. And if I, and I took most of you in this room that were tithers, you would understand, you know, whether you, you know, tithe between 300 or 1500 or however much that is a month, whatever, wherever you make per year, you take 10%, you add that up. If you got a 10% raise, you'd be like, yeah, right. And so if you like 10% that you're giving to the Lord, it's costly. It just is. It's a lifestyle adjustment that you have to actually have kids that go without certain things that their friends go without where you're like, sorry, man, you get a flip phone. Like, it's just what it takes. Why? Because I love God more than I love the adoration of other people. I don't care what people think. I don't, I don't care that my 401k isn't fully funded. I don't care. What I care about is honoring God with my first fruits. Proverbs 29, 25, the fear of man brings a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord shall be safe. 
Matthew 13, 44, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and hid. And for joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Can you see that word picture of what Jesus is saying about what the kingdom of heaven is like? He says the kingdom of heaven is like a man that sees something. He's so excited about it that he runs back. He sells everything that he has and he goes back and he buys this thing. But, but modern day American Christianity is not sell all that you have and buy the field of the kingdom of God. It's how can I get this on the cheap? What's the least amount that I have to do to have this? Because I, I want to, I want to, I want the name of Christ, and I want to acquiesce to the group, and I want to, I want to be a part of this thing. I just don't want it to cost me so much. Like, how, does it have to be so costly? Why does it have to cost me so much? Here, here's the last part of the scripture. Man, are you guys glad I'm back with this preacher? That's good. That's good stuff. Last point: you must die to self. You've got to die to self, man. If it's, if it's not enough that you uh, have to deal with the division and if it's not enough that you're going to have uh, your heart totally towards Jesus, you've got to die that yourself. Now, many times I, I use the contrast of those places around me, not because I think that uh, faith and victory is the only way to heaven. There's great churches with great people that I know all over the nation that are preaching a great gospel. Sadly, there's a bunch of churches out there that are not. Um, and, and some of these churches are using the bait of it's all about you. And you go to these churches, you listen to their sermons and the languages. We're here to serve you. Let us know how we can serve you. And, and, and God wants to help you find uh, your destiny. And God has a plan for your life. And, and really what it is, is it's this psychological manipulation for a person that feels lost, right? Uh, a person that feels like they're not part of a group. I mean, who wouldn't want to sit in a room and say, do you know what? God has a, a specific plan for your life to bless you and prosper you to do good things. If you felt your life had no direction, or if you felt like your life wasn't going anywhere, most people would sign up for that. Yeah. Most be like, well, yeah, I'm, if he's got a plan for me and it's free of charge, like, sure, I'll take the plan. Like, what do I have to lose? But if the plan is, you're going to die to yourself. If the plan is, your plans are now over. If the plan is, you don't get a say and you don't get a choice and you don't get nothing, you basically give up everything and do exactly what you're told for the rest of your life. Most people are like, yeah, you clap to that. But it's not very good bait. It's just not. Like, I mean, even here at Faith and Victory, I mean, we say faith in God, victory in life. Right? That's what we say. But to say like, die to yourself, get nothing, you are nothing, live for Jesus. Like, beat him off the stick, you know what I mean? No one leads out with come and lose your life and live for Jesus. But it's what Jesus teaches. And he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who finds his life will lose it. And he who loses his life for my sake will find it. I I go to churches. I, I, I listen to people's sermon. And come and die is not what most churches preach. But, that, but that's what Jesus is doing here. He's saying, take up your cross, die to self, lose your life. Now, now the promise is that if you lose your life, you'll find it. That's a promise. 
But, but what does that mean? That means that you have to die to your own plans. You have to die to your own wants. You have to die to your own desires. And, and, and I never lead with the blessings. Why? Because what happens is the process of what it takes to get to that point takes so long that, that if you, if you sell this, it's like weight loss. People say, oh man, join the gym. You'll lose weight. You will eventually. It just takes like a year or two. You can't outrun a bad diet. So you've got to change that as well. And, and so if you don't sell it in the right way of like, man, it's going to hurt. You're not going to like it. It's not going to feel well. You probably won't see results for about a year, but you're going to have to stick with it. And eventually you'll look in the mirror and be like, oh, hey, that guy looks different. No one signs up for that. It's like, try this new plan in three days. Everybody likes that. But nobody likes like, hey, man, this is what I want you to do. I want you to give up everything that you have in your life. I want you to first off, hate your family. And then... Uh, Secondly, I want to make sure that you take all these dreams that you've been uh, shoved down your throat since elementary school where everybody's got self-esteem and everybody's going to become some famous YouTuber. And I, and I, I want you to throw that in the garbage as well. Um, don't worry about where you're going to live or what you're going to drive or how you're going to live or what you're going to eat. Just throw all that away. And what we're asking you to do is come before Jesus and just wait for your next step. Yeah. And who wants to sign up for that? Now, it's, it's somewhat easy when somebody has lost everything because they feel like they, they, they don't have anything to lose. But you take some, you know, middle-income American who's working down at the widget factory and has a, you know, a car that runs and a house that's safe. And you're like, hey, man, give all that up and come and follow Jesus. And they're like, I don't know if I want to do that, man. It doesn't sound like something that I want to do. That's why you have to tell them that they are an offense to God, that they're living under the wrath of God. You don't tell people to come to Jesus and he's going to make your life better. You say, come to Jesus because you are an offense to him. You have wronged him by your living against him. And then people are stricken with the guilt and shame of being offense towards God. And then they understand and realize the need for the cross. And then they say, man, I don't care about anything else. I just care about God. Second Corinthians 5, uh, 14, 15, for the love of Christ compels us because we judge thus that if one died for all, then all died. And if he died for all, then those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. You preach a sermon like this and all of a sudden people think, well, you're trying to control people. (laughs) I cannot control you. It's impossible. Christ can't even control you because of your wicked heart. He says, die to your plans. Live for me. Live for me more than anything else. More than your plans and your wants and your desires. Not what you want to do with your life and how you want to live. You might look at my life and say, it must be nice, you know, five-week vacation. And you know what, man? My life is nice. It is. I ain't going to lie. I'm tired of apologizing for being a man that God can bless. But you didn't see my lonely weeping nights. I'll hold on to that boast. I'm not going to go too far into that. But I'm not exceptional. I'm not exceptional at all. This church is filled with people that are blessed, man. You don't know what they did. You don't know what they gave up. And then you look at the fruits of God's blessings upon their life and be like, well, how come God won't bless me like this? Probably because you're not as broken as they are. Probably because you haven't given up as much as they've given up. When you give it all up, God seems to give it back to you. Why? Because you, then you don't love it. You're just like, eh. But it's a real heart condition. It has to be a real heart condition. 
You look at a submitted life of Christ of somebody and then you ask yourself, what's the least amount I can give or die to to get what they have? And I don't understand. I've never been a person that looks at another blessed person and get upset that they're blessed. Or I look at their lives and think, man, what's the least amount that I have to do to be able to get what they have? It's such wrong thinking, man. It just is. What happens in my own life is that if I feel like I'm not close enough to Christ, I just go back to the cross. I go back to the cross and I say, man, there must be some area of my life that's not submitted. There must be some area of my life that that I need to die to. There must be something I'm holding on to that I just love too much, whether it be my wife or my kids or uh, anything else that I just love more than him. Let let me give you a a real world example. Now, again, I share this stuff with you just because I want to be vulnerable. Okay. Can we be friends? Is that okay? I could easily grow a 2,000 member church in about 24 months. Guaranteed. I don't mean that pridefully. It's very easy. <laughs> I, dude, I know the formula. I've seen it. It's very easy. All you have to do is tell people that they're going to get a bunch of fun stuff from Jesus and it will cost them nothing. And people will come in droves. Because they love that I get to bring my U-Haul full of stuff with me following Jesus. They love that Jesus. They love the I can live however I want outside of Sunday Jesus. They love that I don't have to watch what I say or how I live or I don't have to go through the pain of discipleship Jesus. They love that Jesus. But I, I can't preach that Jesus, man. I can't change the message. I can't change the approach. I refuse to be entertaining I know that at times I can be entertaining and I can make, I, I could have y'all in stitches all day, every Sunday. I guarantee it, man. And people would come from all the, Oh, you got to go hear the funny preacher. Y'all just lucked out that I happen to be funny and I love to make people laugh. I really do. But it takes a lot of intestinal fortitude to hold myself back to preach what God told me to preach. To preach what Christ told me to preach. I care more that we would have a church of three to 500 people that are going to go to heaven than a church of three to 5,000 where I have a bunch of Instagram followers and people are reading my books just to feel as though I'm patting myself on the back, but I'm leading people into the pit fires of hell. I'm just not going to do it, man. I'm not. Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. 1 Corinthians 15, 31. I affirm by the boasting in you which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord, I die daily. And I'll leave you with this this morning before we get out of here. If you're looking for the application this morning, it's this. If you are struggling in any area of your life, and and I don't care what it is, I don't care if it's your marriage, if it's your finances, if it's your health, if it's anything, the answer is not come to Jesus for a purpose and plan for your life. The answer is die. That's the answer. If you say, man, I don't know what I'm supposed to do, die to your plans. I don't know where I'm supposed to go, man, die to yourself. And if you go back to the cross and you would just die to self, you will turn around and be like, oh man, I understand division. I understand where my heart is supposed to be at. I can navigate through this world because uh, uh, again, the world has changed what, what they're doing and how they're doing it. And we have got to be prepared to be able to stand and say, I'm not going to be like the world. I'm just not going to do it. Amen.
Amen. Would you close your eyes? Would you bow your heads? Well, if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, I'd like to invite you to come one. Become one. It's really, I mean, if you don't understand what it takes, it's, I think we've made it abundantly clear this morning. Die to yourself, come to Jesus. Be forgiven of your sins. Be set free. Watch what he does. Won't he do it? If you've never made that decision before, if you've never said, you know what, Pastor? I want to die to myself. I want to live for Jesus. And you want to do that for the very first time, I want you to raise your hand right now and say, that's me. I want to give my life to Jesus. I'm ready to die to myself. Is there anybody who needs to make that decision for the very first time? Maybe you've been far from God. Maybe you've lost your way. You say, you know what, Pastor? I, man, I knew the truth, but for some reason I've gotten off the Jesus path. I'm just going the wrong direction. If you want to rededicate your life to Jesus today, you want to come back to him, we want to pray with you as well. Is there anybody who wants to rededicate their life to Jesus today? Now, for the rest of us, God, we just pray that we would realign our hearts. We know what you can do, what you will do, Lord. Would you would you just do it? Father, let our hearts be set on you and you alone. Let us love you more than anyone else or anything else to glorify your name. We lay ourselves down before you today, God. Do with our lives what you will. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, we want to thank you so much for being online with us today. I want to remind you, if you're not a follower on Facebook, please like our page on YouTube. Please subscribe. Follow us on Twitter. Tell all your friends. Continue to watch online. We thank you for watching. We love you so much. Have a great day.